0: for the first time, or if you just want a little bit of a recap of where we've been at on this series so far, we have been looking at the what mission is, we've looked at what everyday mission is, what the, the mission of God is, what Jesus' mission was, what our mission is as the church and as individuals. We've looked at the how we can live that out, and practically, John Mark has been going through that, what that looks like in the last few weeks. I want to take a little bit of time this morning to look at the why of mission. So I'm going to have to be like Professor Chris Woody and say next slide please because the little clicker wasn't working. Next slide please fellas. So the why of mission. It's really important for us to ask ourselves this question and to keep this in our minds at all times. I've been really reminded of the importance of why um, because our Middle child, Sophie, uh, is living up to her name, Wisdom. That's what Sophie means. She consistently asks the question at this stage in her life, Why? Why, Daddy? If she, Why does this work this way? Why are we going here? Why do we have to do this? She's always wanting to find us out. And I found that's a little bit like my, what my heart was like whenever I was younger. I think I've told you the story before. I used to investigate into everything Why does this work this way? And and my mum ended up losing me in the supermarket in Mahara because I was underneath the fridge trying to work out why does it work this way? Why does it have to work like this? And trying to work out all the little complexities of it. But it's important for us to remember this. Um, some of you'll know I've been doing a, a little side course in like business and accountancy and things like that. And I was reading this, I came upon this quote a couple of weeks ago, and it's just really stuck with me. It's from a guy called Simon Sinek, who has written this book called Find Your Why. And I, I don't really like um, trying to connect businesses with church and all that sort of stuff. But but sometimes God speaks to us in weird ways and through things. And here's here's the quote. He says, All organizations start with the why. But the best ones keep their why clear year after year. And we can learn something from that as the church. Because what we're going to look at this morning is nothing new. I can't say this is something that I haven't spoken on before. I can't say it's something that you won't have heard before. But it's really important. Because it's the why. It's the motivation. It's the heart behind mission. And for us to keep our mission clear... And to keep our hearts focused and our minds focused on the one whose mission it is, and to display his heart in the right way, then we have to consistently do heart checks onto the why we partake in his mission. And so I want to look at someone this morning in scripture. Um, we can look to Jesus in this ultimately, we're followers of Jesus. But sometimes we give ourselves a get-out clause in that. Because what we end up saying is, well, yeah, of course, sure, of course it's Jesus. Like he's, yeah, he's fully man, but he's fully God at the same time. So of course he's going to live this way. If you just take it back at the minute, we'll we'll go to that in a wee minute. And uh what what we are looking at is someone whose life was radically transformed when he encountered Jesus. Someone just ordinary, like you and I. But this was someone who was. Like his life purpose was killing and persecuting Christians. Then he meets Jesus and he becomes the greatest pioneer evangelist and leader in the early church that there ever is and ever has been. Um, when we read through the New Testament, most of those are his letters to the early church. I'm talking for those who read their scriptures, you'll be aware of this about the Apostle Paul. For those who don't need or who don't read their Bibles. His name was Saul. He met with Jesus and he became Paul, one of the early leaders in the church. And so we can learn from him. So let's buckle in. We'll get into some scripture this morning and uh, unpack this why of this. What I want to do this morning is look at Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, his letters to the Corinthian church. Why do we look at this? Let me explain that. Well, in chapter 1, verse 2, he says, that he's writing this letter to not just the church in Corinth, okay, but he says, Together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord. So that includes you and I. So there's stuff that's in this that is for us and not just the Corinthian church. Paul visited the people in Corinth on his second missionary journey. So he had, um, right through scripture, we see he had three missionary journeys. This was on the second one. And I reckon he spent about 18 months there preaching and teaching the word of God and seeing people um, hear the good news about this Messiah who had been crucified on a cross. So he spent 18 months here. He has this close affinity with the church in Corinth. He has this real attachment, this relationship with the church there. And so he writes various letters at various points in time to address issues that are happening there. And he even sends trusted people like his uh, his. I'm going to call him his intern or his little prodigy that he had alongside him, uh, Timothy, to go and sort out these issues sometimes. And so we're going to look at two Corinthians this morning, as you've seen already. Uh, Two Corinthians. Why two Corinthians? Well, it's not just his second letter. You could argue around that. could have been his fourth letter. It just happens to be the second one that we have. But in this, we get this little insight, I think, and I've been exploring through his letters, I think out of all of the letters, this is the one where Paul bears his heart more than any of the other letters. We get a lot of good, solid theological insights in all our letters, but here in 2 Corinthians, we hear Paul's heart, but we also hear his hurt's We hear about the privileges of ministry, but we also hear about the pressures of ministry. And so Paul talks, and I encourage you to get into this this week, honestly. Like, read through this for yourself. Don't just take my words for it. Read it. You'll see he talks about persevering through trials, through the nature of Christian service, evangelism, giving, all these sorts of things. But there's this one little passage, and I encourage you to open it now. You've seen it already. 2 Corinthians 5. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 5, okay? And if you have a Bible there, would you open it? Honestly, if you want to turn it on, have scripture in front of you. There's no better words than that to speak into you. I want to zoom into this one little passage, 2 Corinthians 5.11, verses 6 to 2. And in this, we get a little bit of the heart and we hear the why. The why Paul does what he does. So 2 Corinthians 5.11, we're going to read this together. I think we've got time. Yeah, let's do it. 2 Corinthians 5.11, verses 6 to 2. And it's entitled The Ministry of Reconciliation, which is Well, as we've heard, that's a lot about what God's mission is about. So he says in verse 11, Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some would say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. And so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view Though we once regarded Christ in this way we do so no longer Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled himself through Christ and gave us this ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against him. And as he has committed to us the message of reconciliation, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. And we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And as God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favour I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favour, now Is a day of salvation. Amen. May God bless the public reading of his word. And their hearts far more than my words. (laughs) As we read through this, we see that Paul addresses the concerns of the church. So you you get to hear this. I'm not just saying that. Read through this this week. And we see he is saying, what we are is plain to God. And I hope it is also plain to your conscience. And so he's, he's saying, look, we're confident in who we are. We know who we are because we're answering to God, but not to you. So he makes that clear. And then he addresses particularly those who have been trying to detract. There have been other teachers. If you read the history around this, there's other teachers who are trying to take away from this message. Trying to say, are you going to believe the guy who was once killing Christians? Are you going to believe us, the religious leaders of the day? And Paul says, Look. To the Corinthian church. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again. But giving you an opportunity to take pride in us. Why? So that you can answer those who take pride in the heart. Or pride in what is seen. Rather than those who take pride of what is in the heart. He says if we are out of our mind as some say. It is for God. And if we are in our right mind it is for you. And so I guess what he is saying here is. Look we know who we are. And we could take time to explain to you and he does in certain bits of it explain this is what we do but don't take pride in that. Hear our hearts. That's what we want to get across to you. Because if people can argue with our methods they can argue with what they're doing but what they cannot do is see inside our hearts. No one but God can see in there. And so in verse 14, you'll know where I'm going with this. Verse 14 says, For Christ's love compels us. That's their why. For everything that they do. Christ's love compels us. And so he doesn't just say what they've done. He doesn't just explain how they've gone about it. He says, this is why we do it. And if you want to understand us, you've got to understand why we do this. It's Christ's love that compels us. What is this love that's being talked about here? What kind of love is this? Because it's not just some sort of manufactured love that can be drummed up inside their hearts. It's not just some sort of airy, fairy, all the fields sort of love. Okay, This is a love that flows from a deep gratitude for what Christ has done for them. A deep and thankful heart for what Christ has done for them. Look at what Paul says here. He explains in verse 14. One died for all and therefore all died. Later in verse 17. If anyone is in Christ the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Paul grasped what exactly Christ had done for him. That he had gone to the cross to take his punishment So that then if he is in Christ, if he decides, if he has this moment where he meets Jesus and his life is transformed and he is now in Christ, accepted that gift, that free gift of what Christ has done for him on the cross, he says I am now a new creation. So you see that old Saul? He's he's dead. He's gone. I am a new creation. It's where we get this idea of being born again. If you're Wondering where that phrase comes from. It's birthed in this. And Paul has got this in a way. That this gratitude has just got deeper and deeper and deeper into his heart. And that's why in one of his other letters to the Romans he says this. This hope that we have. This hope that I have in Christ. It does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Who's been given to us. So what kind of love is this. That they're talking about there. It's this word agape. It's Christ's love. It's an unconditional love. It's not something that we can make. In our own end. How do I know that? Not that I've made that up. (laughs) Go and read 1 John 4 19. We love because he first loved us. So we cannot in ourselves. Manufacture this. We cannot drum this up within ourselves. It comes from understanding what he has done for you and for I. Just like Paul got it. And then the love of God fills, poured into our hearts. That's what he says in Romans. It's an unconditional love that is freely available for you and I. This agape, this unconditional love. It's the love that created us in the first. It's why he created us for relationship. Because he loves us. It's a, the, the same love that chose, as John Mark had said, to work through Abraham's family so that it would be a blessing to all people and that this, this this way of salvation, this way of reconciliation would be worked out through one family. Why? Because God loved us and didn't want to leave us as humans the way we were. as his creation the way it was. He wanted to give us a way back because he loved us. It's the same agape love that even an enemy commander like Naaman gets healed because God loves him. It's that same love that the Ninevite people who hurt and caused many evil things to be done to God's people. God says to Jonah, I want to give them a way back to reconcile with me in relationship. It's that same love that we read of in the story of Hosea and Gomer that tells us that even when we adulterate ourselves out to other gods, he doesn't just leave us. He comes running after us. Why? Because it's an unconditional love. No matter what you've done, he wants you to be reconciled to him. Don't like I just noticed in here, like a lot of that is in the Old Testament. Don't have people tell you that the Old Testament, Testament is just about the wrath of God. Underneath all of that, there is a loving father who is reconciling a lost world to himself and giving opportunity time and time and time and time again to come back in the relationship with him. It's why this love flows into the New Testament. And God himself comes in the person of Jesus to die on the cross. And this is getting to what Paul gets. This same love prompted Jesus to go to the cross to pay the sacrifice for your sins and mine and for Paul's. And it's still that love that is evident and flowing today. And why we read in 2 Peter 3, 9 The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. So you've got to hear this more. Jesus is coming back someday. The Lord is not Slow in keeping his promise. As we understand slowness. Instead he is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish. But everyone. Everyone to come to repentance. That's this type of love. I want to encourage you. It would be wrong of me not to. That if you're here. And you don't have that relationship with Jesus. Whilst there is still time. Time here's the thing, none of us know. We all like to think we're living and God's about to return imminently. We don't really know. We can look to the signs, yes. But whilst there is still time, you need to hear. It's his grace and his love, this agape love that has given you a chance. So why not today? Hey, come back to God. Be reconciled to him. But I want to give us a little bit of a challenge. Those of us who have accepted that gift of salvation, I would say we're followers of Jesus. This love is actually a verb. It's, a, it's an action word. It's meant to propel us into something, into action and showing that love. That's why Paul says Christ's love what compels us, pushes us outwards. It forces us. The older translations will say it constrains us. And all of that. And it led God to act. We've heard the many examples of that. Over and over and over again. It's why Jesus went to the cross. And so Paul when he's filled with this love. He says in this passage. The, the, the fruit of this. Or what type of life he's compelled to. If you want to put it on to the next slide. Number one. A life of surrender and yielding to him. His will his way Paul says no longer do people live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again and it's not just this life of surrender and yielding that's coupled with this fresh perspective on people Paul says so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view what is he saying there we don't just look at people as they are we see them with eternity in mind see them with eternity in mind what their real future is and so with that love that is there these are the byproducts of that a surrendered a yielded life and fresh perspective on others that is the reason why Paul encourages us in Romans to live our lives as a daily living sacrifice that's our act of worship it's why Paul traveled over 10,000 miles by foot and by sea to put that into a little bit of context that's Dairy to cork, 302 times (laughs) by foot. It's why he spent five years' wages just on shipping alone. It's why we read in the next chapter that he endured troubles and hardships and distresses and beatings and imprisonments and riots and hard work and sleepless nights and hunger. Why? Because he had been. absolutely filled with Christ's love and compelled him to do these things. The overflow of Christ's love. That was his why. And church, it's meant to be our why. We do not need better programs and better strategies and all these things. These things help. But if we are filled with his love and live surrendered lives... Looking at people with fresh perspective, that's the key. It's why Paul mentions in Philippians 2 verse 5 that our attitude is to be like that of Christ. And if Christ lived a life of surrender and seeing people not just, remember the woman at the well we read about, not just what was on the outside but in the inside. What was going on in the heart? What's the eternal consequences? It's how we're meant to live. And here's a little quote from Simona Veil, she's a French philosopher. And I just I love this. I think it just sums up everything about 2 Corinthians 5. It says the friends of God should love him to the point of merging their love with his in regard to all things here below. That's the aim. That is our aim. That his heart would merge with ours, his unconditional love would merge with our mustered up. We're trying to love. And eventually there would be no difference. He sets the bar high. But we're to have an attitude like Christ. And so I want to give us two questions just to ponder this week as we try to work this out a little bit and to find our why. These questions I think will help to just uh, solidify some of this stuff. But it will personalize it for you as well. So question number one. I want to ask you this. and it, Yeah. What compels you in life? Because that's your why. You do realize that. What compels you in life? Because that's your why. What is it that drives you on? What is it that motivates you? We live in a world where it's all about you know getting promotion and making more money. It's about gaining reputation and popularity and fame. When I read this <laughs> and I go back to the wisest person that ever lived, it says Solomon. He wrote a book called Ecclesiastes. News flash for you. He had all those things popularity, all the wisdom in the world. He had all the power in the world. And what did he say? At the end of it, when everything's been added up, when everything's been read, fear God and keep his commands. A reverential awe for the King of Kings and living our lives for him. That's what matters. This should be our compelling, uh, motivating factor. Not just individually, but as a church. I want to challenge us on that. And and I know individually, like, I long for more of that. I long for that in my own life for too long. Worried about pride and reputation and building some sort of ministry. when When the whole aim has been him and his heart. And I feel rebuked. And challenged in that. I want to challenge you in a similar way. But it has to be as a church. Our why as well. When we think around all this. Corporately as well. And I mean not just us as MCF. But the wider church. For too long. We have let other things be our motivating factor. Be our why. Well that's this longing to be right. Or whether it's this idea of just seeking mission for mission's sake and we forget the one that we're calling people to worship to. Whether it's some sense of religious duty or obedience or some sense of wanting to be in control or hold on to Christendom. Those have been our motivating factors. And it's led to a misrepresentation of his heart. That has led people to turn away, not because of him and his love, but because of how we have reflected that into this world. There have been too many things, too many things in this nation that have been done in his name that was never, ever God's intention. We've misrepresented his heart. And I put the challenge to us can we? <laughs> Learn to love him, to fix our eyes on him and allow his love to be poured into us in a way that will be for our generation to hand on a more truer representation of who he is. That's the challenge. You know what Paul says about all the gifts and all the things that we can do? Said you can have the gifts of tongues and speak in the languages of angels. You can sell all you have and give it to the poor. But if you don't have love, ah, the drum kit's not here. I was going to say it's just a it's just a clanging symbol without love as the undergirder as the why. And if I was there and I was smashing that symbol right now, what would happen? It'd just be a loud noise. It would just fill the room, and everyone would be going. Let it stop. And I say that jokingly. But that's what happened. and has happened. We've used our gifts. We've done the things for him. Perhaps, I just challenge, I leave that question. Have we done it without the love of God? And all it is is people saying, I want it to stop. I want it to stop. It's just loud. It's annoying. It's in my face. I think, anyway, you have freedom to disagree with me. We've forsaken our first love. I believe there's a call back to the first love. Our first love. The agape of God. Why do I believe that? Because Jesus said it. He says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. I don't know about you, but I need to remain in his love. More than I have done to this point in my life. So I'm challenging us. What is it that compels you in life? And then secondly, these are like two sides of the same coin. What sort of life are you compelled to? Well, we've been talking about that in this mission series for the last few weeks about this. But it's clear here. It's clear here. The sort of life that we are called to is one where we no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for us. A totally surrendered life. And dare I say it. Our cry for too long in this nation. Has been no surrender. It's infiltrated. The church. This far and no further. We need to live surrendered lives. Yielded. Yielded to him. Like Paul says for me. Living means living for Christ. And look. while I'm. What I'm not saying in all of that is that sacrifice means we're all going to have to give up our jobs or go on missionary journeys like Paul or even to work for the church. But I do want to say in that, I really believe with all my heart God is stirring people right now to go. To go to the nations. There are three billion unreached people in this world who do not know about the hope that we have. How will they hear if we don't go? And so if you're, if you're really sensing that, if you've been stirred in recent weeks, will you talk to the elders or talk to someone about it and just see what God might be doing and all of that? So like I say, we're not all called to that, but what we are called into in this passage, he says, is to be his ambassadors, being a faithful representation of who he is in this world, seeing people with a different perspective, than what the world sees them. Those who are broken, those with addiction, those who are hurting, those who are struggling, those who seem angry with the church. When we see them with fresh eyes, like he sees them, we see the heart and the hurts and we point to Jesus. We point to his love. I don't know about you but I long for the sort of life that I would live and I'm challenging us in that, to be one that lives fully surrendered to him. And that I would begin to see people with a different perspective than what I currently do. So I want to bring this into close. Where do we start with all of this? Well, it says, I believe, look, I, like I believe what this says. And It says in the book of Isaiah that when his word goes forth, that it won't return on to him void. And so it will prosper for his purpose. And so you've, you've heard a bit of his word. You've heard what he has done for you and for I. And I want to give us just an opportunity to respond. We'll pray in a moment. But if you're here and you don't know Jesus, I've said it before, I, don't, I just don't believe in a God of coincidence. I don't believe it's a mistake that you're here. And you've heard this. And so what you need to know is that God is pursuing you because he loves you unconditionally. He desires you to be reconciled to him. And so I want to urge you to act on that today. Don't leave here without talking to someone. You can do it in your heart right now. Honestly, it's just I choose to follow you, Jesus. I leave that old life behind and I want to follow you. Would you fill me with your love as I, ex- as I accept your gift of salvation? And for the rest of us, honestly, I'm tired of all the small talk. I'm just this, making it easy This comfortable Christianity. And so I want to challenge you to take these questions this week. And like fast and pray. Individually and as home groups. And I would dare us. Because I think this is the bar Jesus sets. I would dare us to pray. As we go through that. A prayer like Lord I want to love you more. And to have more of your heart. And your love merged with mine. May my heart reflect yours. Here's the small print in that. When we begin to pray with that posture, it's going to be costly. It's going to cause surrender. We may have to forgo the comfort. We may have to forgo uh, finances. It may be costly to us. You may have to lay down your dreams and your ambitions and have them replaced with His hey, you may have to leave this land behind to go to the nations. You may have to forgo the comfort of this good local church to go to another area of the north coast or another part of this island to proclaim Christ and his good news where it's never been made known before, Romans fifteen twenty. You may, as you pray that, begin to see people with fresh perspective I think it's a normal thing around here. You'll probably cry a lot. But I am convinced more than ever, honestly, convinced more than ever, this is the only way. And that's why year after year after year of my life, I want to make it my life's ambition to consistently bring us back to the why of mission. Because really, when we have our eyes fixed on him, he looks after the rest of it. Let me pray for us.